0: You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by eat, drink, sleep, Sports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back. Let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, 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 welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark. Denmark, like the country. And, yeah, we know we know March Madness is here, y'all. And, you know, to a degree, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm a little bit excited, but let's be real football fans out there. You guys all know that March Madness is just the appetizer, college football still, and will always remain the main course. But, of course, we do know that since March Madness is here, we also also know that spring practice is here, y'all, which also means that we are now, a day closer, an hour closer, a minute closer, a second closer to week one of the college football season. And I'm excited. I'm overjoyed. And, you know, I may watch a couple of basketball games here and there, but nevertheless, I'm excited. So, as usual, we have a lot of things packed for tonight's show. Whenever however you may be listening to us, I hope you're warm. I hope you're safe. But we have a lot of things on tap for today's show right now in college campuses all across the country. The early enrollees, the junior college transfer cats, they've gotten adjusted, they've now gotten a little bit used to the college atmosphere and now that they got their class schedules figured out, they know where they need to go. They have one thing on their mind. They're going for that number one spot. And it don't matter if the guy in front of them put up plays and stats. It don't matter if the person in front of them broke records, time at that prospective university. It doesn't even matter if that guy was supposed to be a dark horse Heisman guy. It don't matter if, in fact, he came within a game of winning the national championship. It don't matter because ultimately the reason why these guys were signed to these particular universities, Georgia, Texas, Tech TCU, Alabama, Ohio State, they weren't signed to hold a clipboard. They were signed to go after that number one spot. So on tonight's show, we're going to talk about some of those guys who are going after those number one spots. And although right now coaches are giving the politically correct answer, they do know ultimately at the end of the day, longevity ain't got nothing to do with who's going to start for your football team. What you did last year was last year. But in order to go ahead and make the steps, to make the necessary moves to get that top spot, Work starts at spring practice. And so we're going to talk about that. And also another thing that we're going to talk about on tonight's show is we're going to try to untangle this dilemma that we have here. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about college basketball because even though I am not a college basketball lover, I am a liker. And I want to try to untangle this unique situation that we have. Why is it that programs, athletic departments, can't seem to produce both a good football team as well as a good basketball team. Why is it either or? I mean, money is money, right? But if money is money, right, and UConn's women's basketball team is as good as it is, and Alabama's football team is as good as it is, and Duke's basketball team is as good as it is, why is it that they just can't seem to be able to produce two successful contending teams in multiple sports? I mean, it doesn't make no sense. I mean, it's not like you don't have the facilities. It's not like you don't have the money. What's the problem? Why does it have to be an either or or for basketball and football? So we're going to touch base with that as well. Um uh, But before I proceed, I do want to go ahead and tell you guys, remind you guys, be sure you subscribe to my podcast. You can check me out on iTunes. You can also, of course, subscribe to me on Stitcher. Your boy be on everything. I'm on SoundCloud. I even got on Instagram. So be sure and check me out. Now, back to the show. So what we're going to do today, what we hope we're going to do today, is we're going to have two guests on from two particular programs, uh, that cover two particular programs. They cover TCU, and they cover also Ohio State. And both of those particular programs, we do know that there is an incumbent at that number one spot at quarterback. I said before, it's not like these guys are recruited to hold clipboards or to redshirt. If in fact they're good enough, if in fact they're able to process and easily make the transition from high school to college seamlessly, then it can make some decisions that much more easier to make. Now, last season we saw that with Jacob Eason at Georgia, although, of course, he had his struggles. And, of course, it worked out brilliantly uh, with uh, Jalen Hurts at Alabama. He, of course, was the best running back in the country playing quarterback. So we've seen that it can work. And we also saw in the team that won the national championship this year, Clemson, and maybe if Clemson would have allowed or ignored seniority, no disrespect, Clemson Stouts, and instead went with Deshaun Watson as a freshman, maybe they would have two championships instead of just one. But I'm just saying, though. So that's a significant dilemma of a lot of, college coaches are going to find themselves having to ultimately embrace starting in spring, starting right now. At TCU, you have a four-star quarterback in Shane Robinson. At Texas, you have a guy by the name of Elinger, who I can't say his name, but he's a great quarterback. And um, I just went blank. At Alabama, you got Tua. At Ohio State, you got Tate Martell. And also you got the redshirt freshman. And Dwayne Haskins, you have a lot. And, of course, at Georgia, you got Jake Fromm. These guys could have went to any college football program they wanted in the entire country. And they probably could have went to programs where there was no doubt that they were going to be the starting, that they were going to have that number one spot. <laughs> but they decided, I don't know. for the sake sake of competition, for the sake of being able to shine on the biggest stage and the biggest conference in an explosive offense that they decided to go to a program that already had established quarterbacks. They decided to go to a program with a dresser full of four-star former quarterbacks. But you have to ask yourself these questions. When Tom Herman went into Sam Ellinger's family's house, probably on a ranch, no disrespect. you think he told them that, you know what, if you work really hard, Sam, you just may be able to be our starting quarterback by your junior year once Shane Buschelli leads. You think Gary Patterson went down in the Metro that's what they call the the recruiting area in Houston You think he went down there and said Hey, went to Sean Who of course is a close friend of the family Mother works at TCU You think he went down there and said Miss Robinson You know, we were thinking That we may want to just go ahead And redshirt Mr. your son You know, because Kenny Hill You know, he put in his time at TCU And you know, we got to go about That seniority right there you think that Kirby Smart went to go to Washington? I'm sorry, not Washington because Jacob Eason came from Washington. You think he went to Georgia? Went on the farm, kicked it with Jake Fromm's brothers and sat down with his papa and mother and said, you know what? Jacob Eason is going to be our guy. He had a phenomenal freshman year. Even though he didn't, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. But nevertheless, you're a phenomenal year. But we think, Jake, that by your junior year, you'll be ready to start for Joseph. A wordsmith like no other. You think he went all the way out there to Bishop Gorman, sit down and talked to uh, Tate Martell's father, a former imp- who works with the MMA, UFC, whatever. You think he went over there and said, you know what, man, um our chart chart's kind of thick right now. Uh we got Collier coming back from injury. And you know Dwayne Haskins did put in his time and he's a red shirt freshman. We made some promises to him too. So we think uh Martel be uh he'd be ready by his senior year, you know. 50th senior year, you know, because we do seniority around here. At Ohio State, you think that went on at TCU? You think that went on at Texas? Do you think that Nick Saban flew all the way to Hawaii, which I love, six hours over the ocean? You think he did that? just to offer Tua an opportunity to be a quarterback for Alabama? Of course, if, in fact, my ability to be as sarcastic as possible has failed miserably, the truth of the matter is there's no way that they thought that. These young men came to these universities with the expectations to get that number one spot. So he didn't come all the way from the whole other side of the country to be a backup quarterback. He didn't come just to get a degree from Alabama. These guys came for a reason, and it wasn't to be patient, and it wasn't to wait. It was to capitalize on the opportunity which was presented to them, which I'm sure that each one of those coaches, all, prominent coaches in their own right, said these words. we let the best player play. You're the best player. We'll let you play. All of them have a remarkable track record of doing so. TCU did it with Javon Boykins, converted wide receiver. Urban Meyer did it with this guy named Tim Tebow, despite there being Chris Lee. Nick Saban did it last year. And Tom Herman did the same thing with Ward at Houston. The best player will play. And I don't know about you guys, but if I'm one of these incumbent quarterbacks, if I'm JT Barrett, if I'm Jalen Hurts, if I'm Jacob Easton, if I'm Kenny Hill, if I'm Shane Bouchelle, I'm nervous, man. I'm nervous because I realize that these guys were come were brought to this program to take my job. And I know it's nice to be able to see that JT Barrett, congratulations, man. Congratulations on all your career achievements. But at the end of the day, when I think about JT Barrett, when I think about Ohio State, when I think about last season, you know what I think about? I don't think about those records. I think about that goose egg. When I think about the year that Jalen Hurts had last year for Alabama, I don't think about the run that he had against LSU. I don't think about his game against USC where he showcased all his razzle dazzle. I think about his struggles as a quarterback. When I think about Jacob Eason, I don't think about his strong arm and slobber all over the place at his potential of what he could be in the future. Think about a quarterback who still needs a lot of work. And you know what? When I think about Tom Herman, I think about a a coach who came into Houston and a quarterback who was there left and he found somebody else new. each of the programs that I mentioned to you tonight, or in the morning time, to you, guess one thing, guess one trend that they all have in common? They all have new OCs. And one thing that we know is, I mean, when we see it in the NFL, when you get a new OC, that means you have a new offensive philosophy, and that means the guy that was there before, you know what, that's what. Everybody is now immediately starting starting on a level playing field. There's no advantage. There's no disadvantage. Everybody is now mano y mano. So you look at Ohio State with Wilson, of course, the offensive coordinator coming from, uh, Kevin Wilson coming from Indiana. You look at the offensive coordinator from Alabama, the gentleman who came from New England, What's going on at TCU, and you see that they finally decided to give Meacham the job. Or what did Meacham get the job? No, Meacham left to go to Kansas, and the ex-Texas Tech quarterback is now the OC. So in each of these situations—TCU, Alabama, Ohio State, Houston—I'm sorry, Texas—you have a new man in charge running the offense. Now, of course, at Georgia, I mean, they've struggled so much offensively. You really can't have that much confidence in Jacob Eason as it is. So they're still also in the same boat, all of them together. And so with these things in mind, everybody's starting on a level playing field. Now, I couldn't help but laugh and joke when Urban Meyer last week made a conscious effort, conscious effort to say that there is not a competition for the top spot. That's J.T. Parrott's job. But then I say to myself, Ooh, let's look how good J.T. Barrett did in the past. Fifteen for thirty-two, ten for tw- fifteen for thirty-two against Michigan, ten for twenty-two against Michigan State, twenty-eight for forty-three against Penn State, seventeen for twenty-nine against Wisconsin, nine for twenty-one against Indiana. You think Frank Wilson, who was the coach at Indiana? 9-for-21 against Indiana's defense. You think Frank Wilson, who despite never having the talent of an Ohio State, you think he's going to put his reputation on the line for a quarterback throwing 9-for-21 against a team of his? <sighs> like I said, the fact that Irvin Meyer said it on the first day of spring practice lets you know But an alarm has been sound, y'all. The leash on JT Barrett is very short. By the end of fall camp, if he's not been switched over to another position, I really would not be surprised. Because throughout bowl prep week, I guess you call it, quarterback everybody was talking about at Ohio State, it wasn't JT Barrett. It was Dwayne Haskins. Said this guy was phenomenal. Said this guy was giving the Ohio State number one defense the work. And I'm going to share, you know, loyalty to a fault. How loyal will Herman Meyer be? Now, of course, you know, Tate Martell, of course, is a talented guy, but Frank Wilson's offense is very complicated. He, of course, is a very intelligent gentleman. One uh, never lost a game during his high school uh, tenure at Bishop Borman, but nevertheless, like I said before, when you are the incumbent and y'all and you have a new offensive coordinator, that security blanket that you once had in regards to having seniority is not there, bro. And I tell you this much, man. The fact that Urban Meyer said it on the first day of spring practice tells you that guess what? He lets, he's trying to let everybody know, you're about to see something in Collier who's returning from injury, who looked good last year before injuring his knee. You're about to see something in Dwayne Haskins, who looked good during bowl prep. And you may even see something from Tate Martell, who has shown a little razzle-dazzle, has a little man gel to his game. But Urban Myers out front saying, hey, uh, JT Barrett's our quarterback. We're going to see how short that leash is. The season starts off pretty quickly for Ohio State in 2017. The second game of the season is against an offense full of fire. I don't know if their quarterback could be there uh, in Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. And if you can't pass the ball, if you don't have a vertical game, Another goose egg, <laughs> and the playoffs may all but appear to be inevitable. But you know what, man? J.T. Bear, you're not alone, brother. You are not alone, like Michael Jackson said. You are not alone. Because yes, it was nice to being able to see Jalen Hurts do his thing against USC. It was nice. But guess what, man? Jalen Hurts was the most talented running back playing quarterback last year. Phenomenal quarterback. Phenomenal running back. But he got exposed in a championship game. Got exposed. Straight up. Just keeping one 100. And I'm more than sure that Tua sees vulnerability, sees his openness. Yes, Tua does have the of Jalen Hurts, my man last season, threw for five thousand five hundred and fifteen yards, average. And also, let's see here, what did he worked for. Rushed for one thousand fifty seven yards last year. So he got the legs, he got the arm, he got the hardware at the Elite Eleven, he got the hardware at the opening. So he showed that he has a lot of progress in regards to passing. And since there's a new offensive coordinator, again, in town in Tuscaloosa. God may not really be wild by the razzle dazzle plays of Jalen Hurts. Of course, during this time working with Tom Brady, it was about the passes, it's about the checkdown, it was about you being about the quarterback being able to have few, full view of the field. Do you think he's going to get hyped by seeing Jalen Hurts run and not go through his progressions? At the Elite 11 camp last year, Trent Dilfer was amazed at the progress that Tua made over a week's time. Now, if you imagine he made that much progress over a week's time, what do you think he's been doing since he enrolled early at Alabama. At the end of the day, a quarterback has to throw the ball. JT Barrett's inability to throw the ball leaves an opening for Dwayne Haskins, who has more arm talent than any quarterback in Ohio State's roster right now. Jalen Hurts' inability to effectively throw the ball leaves an opening for Tua, who thrives in being a pinpoint thrower, who's accurate beyond compare. Jacob Eason's inability to only know one speed on his throws, which is a fastball, leaves an opening for Jake From the talented freshman who's known for his marksmanship who really showed out at the Elite 11 and really came into his own. Now, I think with the issue with Kenny Hill, it's more of a stretch because Gary Patterson and also Sean Robinson has already publicly said that he expects the red shirt this year. But at the end of the day, when you look at how much TCU was decimated by injuries, all plans don't originally go. Plan A's don't always originally hold out. It happened last year with TCU. and. Although Forrest Sawyer went ahead and transferred at an opportunity to start elsewhere, I think Sean Robinson may redshirt. But let's be real, man, I don't expect it. And with Kenny Hill, I'm sure he'll probably get off to a fast start. And if he starts pulling a Beyonce and starts feeling themselves, feeling themselves, feeling themselves, then Sean Robinson may be right What just what the doctor ordered. But I'm excited to see how these whole things ultimately end up playing out. That's the thing that's so awesome about college football. And I guess to a degree, that's how you can try to tie in college basketball. It's because we think we know, but ultimately at the end, we have no freaking idea. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well. Continuing with our show, let's go ahead and continue to talk more truth. Now, the next segment, the next truth segment, <laughs> is um, I'm really perplexed. I really don't understand the difficulty in being able to reduce both a uh, national championship football team as well as a national championship it seems as if ultimately at the end of the day that organizations and programs and universities and athletic directors are forced to be able to have to make a tough decision in regards to being able to oftentimes evaluate the sensibility and interests of their communities in order to determine which one they're going to ultimately end up making their biggest investment. In when you look at institutions such as Duke and you compare them to institutions such as Alabama, two programs prominent in their own right, which each thrive athletically in one particular sport, while also at the same time being almost a damn right non-factor in the other. Now, of course, I know that Duke fans as well as Alabama fans will be quick to remind me that their teams do ultimately on the other side of the field, on the gridiron or on the, football, or on the basketball field, basketball court, respectively aren't horrible. Avery Johnson's done a okay job at Alabama. You know, David Cutcliffe is, you know, you know, he's done a serviceable job. You know, I do. You know, he gets the Manning boys there every year. But nevertheless, you have to truly ask yourself the question. Why can't you have both? I know we come now in a society in which we are full, which we are glutton. We want it all. We want more. We're never really satisfied with being, being forced to be content with one. But oftentimes you see ultimately as the success of one particular program begins to ascend upward, the other one begins its slow and gradual ascension down. I found myself going on the Internet looking up stats to try to back up some of these theories that I proposed to you, and I found something that was actually quite interesting. Of course, we do know that right now UConn women's basketball is on a record setting pace, record setting. They're about to win their 100th 100th game. They're probably going to win their, what, ninth national championship? finished their fifth consecutive undefeated season. And I found myself trying to go through the schedule, compare records, and try to find was there a time when they didn't win a national championship. And through my studious investigating, I uncovered that, yeah, there was a year that they didn't win a national championship. And um, that year just so happened to be the year that the Yukon men's basketball team went to the Fiesta Bowl. And it's interesting how it's so hot and cold. In 2011, in a year that surprised everybody, included even myself, now, of course, UConn lost 20 to 48. (laughs) But nevertheless, the fact that this team found itself probably reaching the heights of its football history was definitely something that was truly remarkable. But again, like I said before, oftentimes we see that the success of either a football or a basketball program often comes at the cost of each other. And that same year, 2011, let me make sure my stats are correct, and that year in 2011, the men's basketball team won the national championship. Oh, actually, I might have to say I'm wrong. Because the men's basketball team won the national championship, and also the women's basketball team won the national championship. But the thing that made this whole situation quite remarkable is because it was something that was often unprecedented. And it's often something that we rarely see happen in college sports. We see each of the particular programs being able to showcase their talents on the largest stage. 2011 was a remarkable year for UConn, men's and women's and their football program also reaching unprecedented heights. Rarely do we see this all happen all at once. Now, of course, we can go back and look at the years in which the last time, I believe, some of this this similar regard happened was in 2000 when uh, the men's basketball, men's, excuse me, the Lady Vols won the national championship in 2000, and and, uh, male volunteers won the national championship in college football. But rarely do we see these two things often coincide. And that's the thing that's often, you find quite perplexing. Because you see it at certain universities, you see it in Oregon, you see it at Texas, you see, at a Yukon, Ohio State, and Alabama, they have the facilities, they have the boosters, they have the supporters. Isn't It seems as if only one particular program is able to reach such high levels of esteem at the cost of the other. Isn't it that the facilities all of a sudden get worse when the other team is doing well? Are certain things no longer available for that particular athletic program to be able to have access to due to the success of the other program? There was a time when Michigan State and Texas were the envy of the entire country. Texas was able to successfully have both a dominant basketball and football program, 10 consecutive winning seasons with Matt Brown, and Rick Barnes wasn't doing half bad himself now in 40 Acres. Ohio State was doing remarkable things with their football program under Jim Trestle, and then under Luke Fickle, and then under Urban Meyer. And then this guy from Xavier came. And we thought that we were about to see another magnificent thing happen. <laughs> but that is not what the was. Just like the song, One Shining Moment, Dad Mata came there, had Mike Conley, had Greg Oden. And ever since then, it seems as like if there's been a gradual decline. Now, I'm aware that they have made tournaments. I am aware. They have made deep runs, but it has not been the same. And, again, it just brings me back to the question of why. You have the same facilities. You have the same boosters. You have communities who are committed to winning, who want to see winning, who enjoy winning, who have passion for winning, strong alumni bases at each one of these institutions. So why the different outcome? Why not the same results? Same money, Ohio State, the same money that Duke uses to recruit players, uses to use their personal jet to wow parents and family members. Why does it not work on the opposite end of the spectrum? It's clearly not a great thing. So why is it such a stark contrast pair of the records of the football and the basketball programs that some of the most highest-earning institutions in the world of college sports? But, as usual, I try to give you guys something to think about. Now, of course, you know, I am excited about March Madness only because I like underdogs, because I consider myself to be an underdog. And right now I see my Kansas State Wildcats only 58 seconds away from making it to play in the round of 64. I see that Bruce Weber has successfully saved his job, at least for the time being. And I think that's ultimately the reason why so many people find themselves impassioned about college basketball. It's because of the underdog. But the thing is, it's often funny that we oftentimes find ourselves being failing to ignore is that the underdog really wins. So it's nice for fantasy I'm going to enjoy this Kansas State win. I am. But also I realize that our, our stay in the dance will be short-lived. Eventually it'll just be the usual suspect. You know, maybe there'll be another Butler. Maybe there'll be another Hayward clank shot. Maybe there'll be another Chris Jenkins. But Villanova wasn't really an underdog, but I can continue to ramble to share my thoughts and insights and expertise, but at the end of the day, I know that I'm happy, I'm excited that we are going one step closer, one day closer, one minute closer to the start of the college football season. Like I said in the opening, these quarterbacks came to these universities not to hold clipboards or to wear red shirts. They came for that number one spot. How they do in their pursuits, we'll all be closely watching. One, will either force the best out of the incumbents. Maybe we'll see JT Barrett return back to his sophomore form. Maybe we'll see Jalen Hurts make miraculous progression. I'm excited to find out what spring pre- my answers are spring practice bears. Thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. You know your boy, Denmark, looks forward to talking to your letter. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep Sports and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happens as well at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.